Hi everyone. Welcome to Meet the Rockadopolis. I'm Yes Like Rockadopolis. And I'm Lance Rockadopolis. And this episode is the first in a series of episodes about physical domination as a critical component of power exchange. So apparently there exists a truism in the BDSM world that femdom is more about mental domination and male dom is more about physical domination. Like many truisms, this one is, of course, patently false. But to be honest, in my vanilla relationships, I did find mental domination very arousing. When I was in high school and college, I would get really sexually stimulated from lively and contentious discussions with my teachers and other students. It was probably the most intense my senior year of high school. I had a male frenemy who was such a little prick, but he was very smart and he loved talking about art and music and ideas just as much as I did. I actually did end up losing my virginity to him after high school a few years. Uh, and that was, <laughs> that was something that was very, very kinky, even though we didn't call it that. But anyway, it was definitely a hate fuck. Anyway, I think the high point of our sapiosexual repartee was AP English in our senior year. I do have fond memories of that, even though it was all very dark and felt very illicit in some way, even though it was, it might have seemed like some kind of bizarre sexual sport to the other students in the classroom. It was kind of uh, inappropriate. Anyway, and also, to be honest, I mean, arguing with my husband of 20 years could be pretty enjoyable for me anyway. And I always won the argument with him. It was very sexually arousing to me, but it was also really toxic, and it did nothing to promote intimacy or goodwill between us. It was a great way for me to get my rocks off, but looking back, it was obviously pretty unhealthy. Early on in my relationship with Lance, we did engage in a lot of right fighting. Right fighting is basically when people put being right before everything else, including goodwill and the, and the other person's feelings and the truth. We would spend hours arguing about really inconsequential things like whether Bram Stoker's Dracula character was an anti-Semitic trope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. We also argued about the Norwegian black metal band Mayhem. That band burned down the medieval church in Norway and killed people. Yeah, and I think the argument might have had something to do with the artistic value of those behaviors, right? Which is certainly not a justification for killing people and burning down a thousand-year-old piece of architecture. But that got very heated very quickly. Also, I had broken a nail, so I was in a really bad mood. But anyway... There were all kinds of other arguments. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised we made it through that period, but I'm very thankful that we did. And also, none of that was particularly arousing to me, especially since, you know, we frequently got to the point of almost breaking up, like more times than I would ever want to publicly admit. 
Thankfully, those types of fights are now few and far between, not gone completely, but I think we've, we're able to disagree and get through issues in more healthy ways these days, generally speaking. It's really been a few years since we've gotten to the point of wanting to break up. We still have conflicts, but the vast majority of them are rooted in misunderstandings, and we've both managed to become less reactive, I think. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. I think our biggest problem has been just miscommunication. We've got vastly different styles, so understanding that has helped tame or tone down things. Yeah, I don't think it's changed anything, though. I think that, I mean, this is just an aside, but I do think that it's four and a half years in and w neither of us has changed our, community, <laughs> our communication <laughs> style at all. It might be a matter of just getting used to it. Uh, so while I do occasionally enjoy gloating about being right most of the time. Yeah, it's actually kind of pleasing to see you gloating. I enjoy that to an extent. Um, I don't believe that you've ever done that, you know, gloating in a mean-spirited way. Uh, so yeah, that's really fine with me. The fact that you don't see my gloating as mean-spirited says so much about your character and so little about mine. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like you, no. you're, it's like you're so virtuous and so pure that you don't <laughs> notice half of the shit that I toss at you. Uh, <laughs> Regardless, there is a mental piece in our power exchange, but I think it works more indirectly than the physical piece. And it's most effective with things like strategic planning. It's the fact that I make all of the decisions, or at least the ones that I want to make. And that pretty much makes arguing obsolete, or it should. It makes it gratuitous, anyway. However, physical domination is a powerful element of our dynamic. And that is because physical domination supports Lance's submissive identity. Yes. I'm remembering what I read in that book, Beyond Obedience, and how being dominated is very spiritual, or at least it can be for some people. And much of the book is focused on becoming a, quote, born slave. And I'll quote the book, When a man or woman becomes a born slave, a new identity with its own energy and personality comes to life. The former human just steps aside and lets the mind, body, heart, and soul that he has been using for years be given completely and irreversibly to his slave master. So I really resonate with the, with the identity creation part of BDSM. The physical piece is very powerful because I'm able to transform past physical and humiliating trauma into something very pleasurable, i.e. sexual pleasure. Instead of being ashamed of being dominated, I revel in it and embrace it. Submissiveness gives me an extreme form of gratification and self-acceptance. I fully admit and consider that part of me to be the biggest part of my authentic self. So over the next few episodes, we'll be discussing different categories of physical domination that we use in our relationship, including physical humiliation, 
physical pain, objectification, chastity, and orgasm control, the physical invasion of his body, and violations of cultural boundaries around the body, like body fluids, and any other type of cultural violation that I can come up with, really. And we'll talk about all of these forms of kinky play in the context of pleasure, power exchange, and identity. So some researchers have found that many kinksters form their kinky identity within and through the kink community. For example, in the traditional leather community, individuals supposedly have to go through a years-long process that starts with being a submissive bottom, and it may end up with being a quote-unquote master. And that process apparently involves learning certain skills and undergoing certain ordeals, The decades-old lore associated with this process has been called into question. Regardless, in this particular subculture, it appears that one's kinky identity is controlled largely by community leaders. And I see this happening in less formalized ways in other areas of the kink community. There are expectations, for example, based on gender, but also sometimes based on race, physical presence, etc. Expectations about who is supposed to embrace which role. For Lance and I, though, our roles have always been based in what feels, for lack of a better word, natural. And we determine what feels natural based on the pleasure experienced from what we actually do. Mm -hmm. Because I'm experiencing humiliation and being dominated as pleasurable and a positive experience, it, like I said before, reinforces my identity as a slave. Being led around by the hand is very much like you directing me to cook a certain meal for dinner. It gives me the same pleasure, that of being directed, knowing what would please you and me knowing how to achieve that goal. It feels like I am on a very rewarding path, almost selfish in a way. I feel like I'm achieving goals that I should have completed when I was in my 20s. We mentioned in the past that this lifestyle is self-developmental. I agree with that, but I also hope that you are achieving your goals and that I am part of that as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk about me leading you by the hand, which is pretty much 100% physical, and how that is similar to me telling you what to cook for dinner, which is just me using words, right? That's not physical. That's a verbal command. That's a verbal Mm -hmm. domination. But cooking itself is so physical. That's the thing. Cooking is very physical. And so it it seems like it might be the cooking part that is where the domination is coming in Mm -hmm. as opposed to just the verbal command. Like how much of it is me giving a command and how much of it is your actual act of preparing the food? Yeah, whenever I'm doing anything physical, you directing how I accomplish that task is very controlling and feels very physical. It's also interesting that 
we have quite a bit of conflict around cooking, though, <laughs> and how to cook and how to deal with food itself, how to prepare food, how to store food. Um, that's been a, a major contentious issue for us. But uh, I think we're going to have to have to keep uh, working on that. And maybe you will eventually feel that kind of control for me as pleasure. <laughs> uh, food is so intense. It's so culturally intense. So the pleasure associated with submissive behavior can be mental and emotional, but it is all very much located in the body. Yes, I've said to you that all the physical activities that we practice gives me pleasure and it reinforces my sense of who I am. Um, but I'm not saying that just because it feels good that it is right. It's not like I'm doing drugs and causing damage to my body and saying that since it feels good, it must be right for me. Right. And a lot of research about like the healthiness of BDSM has been coming out for the past few years. Um, that's a completely different topic. But it seems like the medical world and the psychiatric psychological world has done a complete 180 on BDSM. And they're now saying that it's great and super good for you mentally and physically. Yes, what we're talking about is identity formation, or at least the affirmation of that identity. But it's very complex because there's a fine line or gray area between pain and pleasure. You noticed this after your experience with me tying you down. In the case of impact play, or even right before a strong orgasm, there's this discomfort or even pain that occurs right alongside the pleasure. But research in this area is sporadic and incomplete at best. To quote a 2015 Psychology Today article, quote, understanding how sexual kinks develop has not been a funding priority for government agencies and biomedical research charities. So no one wants to pay for it unless it's like their pet project. That's yeah. interesting. Charities won't pay for it? What? Right. The breast cancer people aren't going to pay for research into breast torture. <laughs> right. Okay, so to start our discussion of physical humiliation, I'm going to define humiliation as a kind of social lowering. And I want to contrast humiliation with, with shaming, because I see shame and shaming result from violating a social norm, and it can end up resulting in a kind of social rejection. To use a couple of my favorite terms from cultural theory, shame is often associated with abjection. And to be abjected or to abject something is to cast it out, to throw it out, usually of a, a social setting or a specific cultural milieu. But I see humiliation as a form of dejection, which means to cast something down. Abjection is a total rejection of someone within a, a social circle, you're out. If you have a disease, if you have, you know, if you have leprosy, you're outside of the walls of the city, right? But dejection, which I'm associating with humiliation, is about keeping you around, but keeping you low man on the totem pole, right? Because people seem to really need their social hierarchies. 
They need their alphas and their betas and on down the line. So when I'm doing all of these humiliating things to Lance, even though it might look really mean and like I'm really insulting him, I'm not rejecting him at all. I'm just keeping him feeling lower in status, which is my role. And it's, I mean, that is a responsibility that I have to respect and follow through on. Yeah, and I'll admit that I do love it. And I find that humiliation challenges me in the same way that impact play challenges me to take pain. The response in me when I'm humiliated feels like pain. You know, you basically want to run away from it, or if you can identify the source of that discomfort, you want to confront that person making you feel that way. That's basically the flight or fight response. If my master is the one causing that discomfort, I obviously can't fight you. But what is most important is that I don't feel my obedience should be dependent on if I'm feeling humiliated or not. I'm thinking that my obedience should be foremost in my mind and not my status or worth. I'm fairly confident that you see my worth, so there should be no impediment to obedience. Also, the opinions of others around me are not worthy of consideration and should not impact my obedience. So that's irrelevant as well. So it's a challenge to get over my issues or to give it another term. My ego should not enter into my role of obedience. So you're saying that you shouldn't need to have that physical reaction of humiliation, that pleasure, that you shouldn't have to have that pleasure to be able to stay within your identity, your sub-identity. I'm not sure that I can or it's appropriate for me to deny my feelings, but those feelings shouldn't enter into the equation. That's what I'm trying to say. So it's almost like it like you want to have it on faith because because we started out talking about how the pleasure reinforced your identity, your sense mm -hmm. of yourself as a sub. Pleasure reminds you that you are meant to be a sub, that that's like your natural correct state of being. But you're saying that my valuing of you is enough that you shouldn't need that physical peace. <laughs> this is no, it's, news to me, you know. No, the, it's it's always a challenge, though. That's what I'm trying to convey. That internal struggle is, I think, always going to be there. But my obedience is, should be foremost in my mind. That's what I'm trying to say. I mean, when I do things to you that give you physical pleasure, do those things make you feel like I appreciate you more? Do you see those as like rewards from me? Like signs of my approval of your behavior? Is yes. Or of my love for you? Mm-hmm. Certainly. That's interesting. But you're saying that you should just be doing it. You shouldn't be requiring that I give you little physical pain rewards for, <laughs> for doing it. Yes. Yeah, that's, that okay. is what I'm saying. Well, this is this is enlightening. So to recap, so to recap what we were just talking about, I'm humiliating him, not rejecting him. I'm not telling him that he has done something wrong. 
what I'm doing is reminding both of us of the hierarchy. I'm putting him in his place. He wants to serve a superior woman. And in order for me to be superior, he needs to feel inferior. And there's very much of an actual altitude kind of a thing going on, right? He wants to be physically lower than I am. In a lot of cases, yes. But in general, it's more about status. But it's not even about our worth, or at least it's not about my worth. (laughs) Our relationship is more like a hereditary monarchy than a meritocracy. I'm putting him in his place, but it has nothing to do with whether or not I'm a better person than he is. That reminds me of like reading about the Marquis de Sade and the French aristocrats who came from a tradition where they, they really believed that they were morally superior to peasants and, and the bourgeoisie. Like they felt like they had to be superior. This was in England too. The aristocracy felt like they had to be morally superior to justify their continued domination of the rest of the populace. And of course, you know, by the 18th century, you know, especially in France, from what I've been reading, they were the opposite of morally superior. They were completely morally degraded. So it is it is interesting, this idea of like moral superiority, intellectual superiority. If you're in charge, it's got to be because you're better. So today we're going to talk about four types of physical humiliation that we enjoy playing with. And they are, oh, hello, dogs. <laughs> they barged yeah, in. Yeah, sure, come on in. Yeah, they opened the door. Yeah, Rosie, get out, get out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bastards. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so today we're going to talk about four types of physical humiliation that we enjoy playing with. They are forced by body fluids, physical lowering, and humiliating clothing. So we'll start with forced by. As many of you probably know, the term forced by most often refers to a type of play in which a femdom commands a heterosexual male to engage in some kind of sex with another man. So we've done it a few times with two different men, and the only thing I've had him do so far is give and receive fellatio. So, Lance, are giving and receiving fellatio with another man equally humiliating? Most certainly not. They are different. Receiving a blowjob is very much less humiliating than giving one. When I'm receiving, I can imagine that a woman is giving me the blowjob. Right. And it's more or less passive, too. You're letting something happen to you. You're not Mm -hmm. actively doing it. It's like that makes you less culpable in some way of the sin of having sex with a man. Um, (laughs) So different acts also have different levels of humiliation. Yeah, giving head to that guy that I didn't like and you instructed him to critique my skills, that was extremely humiliating. Taking anal from another man, I can imagine, would probably be the ultimate in humiliation. Someday we'll have an opportunity to test that out. As we discussed on previous episodes, you 
tried to bottom anally for another man, but you couldn't bring yourself to follow through with it. You said that that was because there wasn't a femdom present to command you. Right. In that situation, I was pushing myself and testing myself to see if I could go through with it. I needed some justification for doing something that just didn't feel right to me. I wasn't attracted to the man. Uh, He wasn't providing me with any dominant energy. And in that situation, I felt that having sex with a man wasn't justified. So I just said, stop, I'm putting an end to it. However, in my mind, that really wasn't a failure. Just being there and almost willing was enough to clearly state to myself that I could go through with it under the right circumstance. And that would be being dominated by a woman. So next up, body fluids. I've used a variety of body fluids and other organically tainted substances in our (laughs) humiliation play. I really like that. Tainted substances. I'm wondering why most people find body fluids gross and dangerous. I guess it's because body fluids are known to carry diseases. But this was true even before the advent of modern immunology and, you know, the discovery of bacteria and germs. Yeah, I mean, even before microscopy, doctors had observed patterns of disease and contagion. We've done urine play and me being spat upon. I really liked how you held my head down and forced my eye open or had me open my mouth for you to spit in. It's extremely dominating thing to do to someone. It feels extremely dangerous and transgressive. Yeah, the eye thing. I remember the first time I did that. It was New Year's Eve, just a couple of months into our relationship. And we were staying at the Boulderado, a a historical old hotel in Boulder, Colorado. That was sort of the golden age of our relationship, We need to get some of that energy back. And there's also the power of physical lowering, of simply making his body physically lower than mine. Mm -hmm. This is one that I've literally begged for. I feel that it really changes my frame of mind, making me more submissive and more receptive to corrections. One that is very related to the physical lowering is forcing me to crawl, both with and without a leash. We recently tried this and I found it to be astonishingly effective at giving that submissive mind frame. It's very humiliating to be forced to crawl, but having that ability to move around, even that might give me too much agency. How could you serve me if you can't move around? I'm talking about when you have your foot on my head. Literally driving my face into the dirt gets me very excited. (laughs) It's very humbling and makes me feel very humiliated. Oh, I see. Does, Does doing that give you a sense of power? Well, it really feels like very, very mean. It feels really transgressive and risky. You know, I I don't want to stomp your brains out. So I have to be very mindful of like keeping my balance and shit like that. It's a very intense form of physical domination, even though it's, it's really just play. If it were in real life, it would be seriously scary. 
I don't think that I've ever fantasized about doing it. But if I did, it would probably be about someone in real life who really insulted me or put me down. Um, Actually, they, they wouldn't have needed to put me down, so to speak. It would be people who were playing little games at work, saying things that were stupid and boring. And I'm talking about my academic job. People saying things, espousing ideas and ideologies just to fit in and try to get ahead professionally. They never did get ahead. It's usually the outliers who get ahead. It's usually the people who have their own ideas. As long as they have a decent personality, those are the people who are going to get noticed. Um, You know, I got noticed because I was different and I had novel ideas. These people offend me with their conformity and their sheepleness, sorry to say, not sorry. And I mean, there's a part of me in my twilight, semi-dream world fantasy life that wants to teach them a lesson. I really think that's a reasonable thought. People do want to beat up someone, some smug asshole, and drive their face into the dirt. And they weren't even so much smug. They were just shameless in their sycophancy. It was like they were proud of their go-along-to-get-along attitude. And that just really pissed me off. You know, they're not just passively accepting what's being thrown at them. They're actively, like, grabbing for it. It's it's just actively promoting the party line, thinking that that's going to protect them somehow. And, you know, it does and it doesn't. Certainly after I left... All of those people's work lives were really degraded. They ended up having to do a lot more work, teaching more classes with with not more money and no relief on the um, on the service side. These are the people who I might fantasize about actually kicking in the face. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm stepping on Lance's face, it's more of an adrenaline high. Because even though I am very careful, it's still very physically transgressive. The foot is supposed to be below the head, not above it. It's like the world turned upside down in a very physical, corporeal way. Right. The soles of your feet are considered unclean in some cultures. Like when I was doing my 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat, which was a hell and torture all its own, you weren't allowed to have the soles of your feet face where the teacher was. Everybody did it, though, by the end, because we're Americans and we don't give a shit. (laughs) That's very (laughs) insulting. So finally, we'll talk about humiliating fashion items. Yeah, I think we talked previously about you making me wear the the BDSM posture collar to a bar. It was challenging, to say the least, and it made me feel very uncomfortable. It kind of looked like I might be wearing it for medical reasons, but the design was obviously BDSM. So no, it's black, it had straps on the back, it had a D-ring in the front of it to attach a leash to. You can't mistake it for anything else. There was also that time when we went to see Tchaikovsky at the Denver Symphony, and I made you dress up like a pimp from like a 1970s Italian art film or something. And I was dressed like one of your tricks. 
That was something that one of my coworkers had had dared me to do earlier in the week, and it was so fun because people love to dress up for those kinds of events. We got a lot of positive feedback. I was uncomfortable at first, especially shopping for all the paraphernalia that we were going to put on, but I'm very glad that you made me do it. Yeah, then there's also that purple lacy thong that I made you wear to one of our BDSM clubs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was quite unique. I've never seen anything like it. It was, uh, and still is, one of my favorite gifts from you. It's basically a crotchless panty with a thong that shows off my butt very well. <laughs> anything to show off your butt. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't the least bit humiliating. We were amongst friends and having a good time. You know, I do like to challenge myself by wearing risque clothing. And it was it was something that you have been doing for a long time. Certainly. Yeah, wearing the Speedos to the beach. So that concludes today's episode. Next time we'll be talking about power exchange and sadomasochism. In other words, the uses of physical pain. So thank you very much for joining us today. And until next time, have a great week. Mm-hmm.